0: The sun has left and forgotten me It's dark, I cannot see Registration is open for no longer virtual, coming up February 26th and 27th, 2024, in Missoula, Montana. Limited to 25 participants, you make this event meaningful. Topics for the sessions this year include managing life and work as an entrepreneur or internal innovator, finding creativity at work, using agile, the project structure usually associated with IT work to improve communication and outcomes in your non-tech business, and so much more. Every session is hosted by the people who attend. No keynotes. All sessions are interactive workshops to get the most out of those side conversations and leverage all of the great experience that's already in the room. But what people who attend NLV say they value the most about this summit is the relationships they build that continue to support and nurture them at work and in their career throughout the year and well into the future. Early registration is extended through January 15th, 2024, and there are a few spots left. So join us. Don't miss this opportunity. Register at ElkinsConsulting.com. Your stories don't define you, but how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief story maker at Elkins Consulting. And when I talk about being a chief story maker, what I'm saying is that if you want to be a good storyteller, you have to make them first, which means oftentimes, stepping out of your comfort zone. And my guest today is a great example of stepping out of a comfort zone in many ways. And lucky for me, I've already had a chance to speak with his brother. So welcome to Jake Sinti. I spoke with Dylan just a few weeks ago. They own Yarrow Properties, I think is what it's called. And the reason Yarrow is sticky in my head is because the Yarrow plant here in Montana, is all over the mountain behind my house. It's known as a medicinal plant, and I think it's just a great name for the projects that they are taking on. So Jake, welcome to Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Um, Great to, it's great to connect with you and uh, love that I'm getting an opportunity to to, well, to, to to help build and embellish the the story that that we're we're starting to put together out here in Michigan.
0: Thank you. So, tell me, confirm the name of the company.
1: Yarrow is the name Yarrow. of the company. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, we'll we'll get into what you do in just a little bit, but let's start with the my traditional ritualistic um, habit forming question that I've been asking for over three hundred episodes. I'd love to hear something about you that most people might not know. And as our listeners will know, I love to ask this question because it gives some dimension to the person that we're going to be hearing stories from. And what I'm finding more and more, especially in this age of polarization, social media, we tend to see people in single dimension based on one interaction or one post. And by asking this question, I'm opening up so that we can see each other in multi-dimensions. So what kind of story do you have to share with us?
1: Awesome. Um, I'm gonna take, uh, and and I'm gonna assume that the group of people who may not know about this thing about me um, are folks who are seeing um, my output at, in, in the real estate world, which is, which is what's most prolific, I would say, about, about me. So I'm gonna focus on something that my close friends know, um, but uh so i'm a i'm a um a musician and a, a non-profit person by trade um and played maybe 12 different instruments throughout my life um i was in uh a, a number of different bands and currently um one of the kind of side projects that i'm a part of uh is I am one of the founding board members for a nonprofit in Denver, Colorado, uh, that spawned out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. And it is a youth driven mobile uh, recording studio and out of school songwriting, beat making and production uh, organization that serves uh, schools throughout the Denver area that don't have access to um, adequate music education as part of their core curriculum. Um, So, uh, yeah,
0: that is awesome. Oh, my gosh, you just made my whole day hearing that. And part of part of what just resonated with me, so to speak, is that uh, my husband and I were just in Paris for a couple of weeks and we were getting back one week before a performance and it was just going to be the two of us. We usually have a bass player or a drummer sit in with us to fill out the sound. And because we were gone for two weeks, we wanted to find a place to practice. And my husband, husband did not bring a guitar with him because we didn't have a performance scheduled. We found a studio space called Luna Rosa. And it is um, just outside of the main part of Paris. It was like a 20-minute train ride, which is a big deal in Paris because everything's so yeah. close. And they had all these rooms completely kitted out with um, bass amp, guitar amp, PA, Um, a little drum kit or a couple of them had like the full drum kit and they had like 20 of them. And they rented us a guitar, which was actually a really cool hollow body fender style guitar. It was very cool. And um, a microphone. And we rented it twice for two hours each. And it was 26 Euro.
1: That's amazing.
0: It was never Are they like,
1: are they a nonprofit? They must be. There's no way they
0: could be making a profit off this. And the second time we went in, Euro Disney was using their space for auditions for kids. Wow. So we walked in, the place is full of kids singing and practicing and warming up for their auditions. It was so cool. And now here you're telling me that you have this mobile, this movable feast of music recording option for students who don't otherwise have access to that. You just warmed my heart. That's awesome.
1: Thank you. I'm so glad. And it, 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 I it part said it because I knew you have a musical background. So um, I thought it would resonate. And I wanted to put in a shameless plug for Mobile Studio, uh, the nonprofit in Denver. So
0: what is it <laughs> yeah. called?
1: It's called Mobile Studio.
0: Oh, OK. So that yeah. leaves it open to a lot of different opportunities. Yep. That's yep. awesome. Well, um, that's a great plug. And we'll make sure that we have links to it in the show notes associated with this podcast. So people can make donations to that. I know that's one of the first things I'm going to do is uh, make an Elkins Consulting donation to that nonprofit because it speaks to me, obviously. And my brother lives in Denver, so I'll make sure that he gets a hold of this as well. So thank you. Um, For our listeners, don't worry about stopping and pausing or whatever. Um, You can find this in the show notes at ElkinsConsulting.com under the podcast page. Jake, thank you. That's awesome. Of course. So let's uh, let's get into this real estate, music, all these other side hustle things, nonprofits. You said that your your primary interest has been nonprofits and music. So how did you transition? What was the story of transitioning into real estate?
1: Yeah, it's a good um, it's it's an it, it, yeah it's an interesting transition. Well, it was an abrupt transition. So I'm actually. Um, in my in my youth, I, I I was part of a relatively prolific nonprofit uh, in in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where where I was born and raised. I was born and raised in the Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti area. Um, there's a, a nonprofit called the it's called Neutral Zone. Um, it's an out of school program that has programming from music to literary arts to leadership, community organizing, and everything is youth led. So I had a ton of agency as a young person. Was very involved in in um, both art and community organizing. And later on, you know, that that was sort of a through line into my educational career um, and, and sort of just outside of my my, my education. I'm a, I'm a social worker by trade. So I actually have, um, I, I mean, I, I got an MSW with a focus on nonprofit management. And I was doing a lot of, I was actually working with the Neutral Zone, um, helping them with a consultancy that works with other nonprofits throughout the country to build capacity for youth leadership. So I was helping build youth advisory councils. I was helping develop uh, board recruitment strategies focused on youth leadership, but ultimately this to me, as far as my goals was, was a form of capacity building for um, socially impactful nonprofit organizations. I, that's what I gravitated towards. So the, the, the consultative aspect of um, of that work it's more macro you know I wasn't mm-hmm. I wasn't pursuing the more therapeutic type of social work um,
0: direct services it, right right
1: um, that's for the 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 better angels uh, I guess, guess. <laughs> um, but uh, I wanted to continue doing that work in some capacity but make a transition and relocate um, and I ended up just by chance um, learning about uh, what is now my current role and connecting with my my current colleagues. Um, at the time it was, it was part of a large commercial real estate company called TransWestern. Um, they have offices in I think like every major city with 33 different offices. They do every type of real estate from development to property management to, um, tenant representation and brokerage. Um, there was a very small team within that company that was focused on nonprofit real estate. Um, which seemed really interesting. It seemed oxymoronic, um, in a way just because the critical, and, yeah, absolutely right.
0: critical with our housing crisis across right. the country. I,
1: yeah. Housing and, and, uh, well, and a, a, a lot of other things, especially where it was located in New York city. And so, um, I learned a little bit more about it and ended up taking on a, a, a job there and I relocated to New York kind of without, a uh, Super clear idea of what I was going to be doing, and absolutely no business or real estate acumen outside of my org studies sort of background. Um, and um, obviously, I'm still there. I'm still doing that work, and so clearly, it was it's, it's become quite a quite a passion and, and quite a impactful niche. So, um, in addition to a number of there's a number of different incentive programs and ways for nonprofits to to creatively structure real estate transactions that um, that can be financially beneficial. And then, in addition to that, nonprofit space needs, um, especially uh, client facing nonprofits, for example, social service organizations. In addition to needing to find creative ways to to, to uh, afford space in a in a city like New York, um, their their space also um, is novel in the way it functions and uh, relative to a typical, for example, office space um, and needs to be mission aligned. So part of what I do is I work with organizations from the incipient stages of their strategic plan, which often includes a facilities component, um, to help with ideation around um, why they have space, how that space can can be best aligned with their mission and services, um, and then to actually transact on that strategy using, um, using a number of different available incentives. So we're often working with, I work with all types of nonprofits. We focus uh, uh, more specifically on um, educational nonprofits. So I work with a lot of schools, social service organizations, arts and culture organizations. Um, and, uh, but I mean, we kind of run the gamut, any, any nonprofit that, that has a social impact. Uh, is what falls into wow. that category so um so it's a very it's a very small niche in the uh in the real estate world but something that is is growing we've and at this point we've quadrupled in size and 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 wow. created our own company so it's now um it's now that we're affiliated with transwestern but uh but we're our own company it's called open impact real estate so we're an m w b e based in new york and active all over the country.
0: Wow, can you um for our listeners explain what the W O M B E is? Yeah, minority is?
1: and women are, yeah, so we're certified minority and women in the business, which is not only I mean on 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 one end it um it allows us to support uh government real estate projects for example and then also it's important to us and very important to the groups that we work with oftentimes to have um to have a mission aligned uh organization oftentimes in mwbe so we're um we're, we're we're very diverse um we're we're, we're obviously we're women-led um mm-hmm. and um we uh and most of our we're all brokers we're real commercial real estate brokers so i'm a commercial real estate broker um but we all have alternative backgrounds so we we've, we recruit people from backgrounds in um affordable housing, social work, environmental studies, um, deliberately, um, to have a more holistic, to be able to have expertise in actually the issues that our, that our clients are dealing with.
0: That sounds amazing. Wow. So tell me when you think of a recent client facing experience that you had, um, I, I'm guessing you get this a lot, but just think of one in particular that was recent, a situation where you just felt so satisfied walking away from it, that you were just like, I am in exactly the place that I'm supposed to be.
1: Yeah. Um, so just out of caution, I won't be super specific, but I'm sure folks no, no, listening no. to yeah, this no will names. be able to figure out what, what I'm talking about. Um, but one of the, one of the projects I'm most proud of and still feel like I'm walking away kind of feeling proud of it, even though it was a couple of years ago. Um, so we, we worked with a harm reduction center in, um, in New York city. So a, an organization that provides um, critical public health services, primarily to um, folks who use needles. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so they, they provide life-saving services in addition to oftentimes a model that does involve safe injection, um, so whether it's providing clean needles um, or also supervised um, needle use, um, which is obviously highly controversial. And because of that, they had been evicted from their space. I think about a year prior, and they were operating out of a Winnebago. Um, and they they refused to stop services; they kept pressing on, but they were operating out of a um, an RV. RV. in uh washington yeah in um uh in northern manhattan and um they had been blamed by the community for the fallout that happened when they relocated because people started to use elsewhere and there were a lot of deaths um it was a whole debacle and they needed space and uh, it is uh one of the hardest cells uh, when we are representing a tenant oftentimes you know landlords um they can, they can be, they, they can't be discriminatory, you know, as a matter of law, but when it comes to the use of the space, they, they can discretionarily reject certain uses. And this is sure. one that 99.9% of landlords uh, would say, absolutely not. Um, we can't have this use in a multi-tenant building. Um, for,
0: for good reason to assert. I mean, it's, a,
1: to, it's right. it reasonable to be there. concerned Re- about makes, it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and but of course, you know, and, and so we understood that. And we also understood that from a community and impact standpoint, it was so critical that this organization be there. They're, they were located and stayed located in um, one of the areas of Manhattan with the highest, um, the, the highest concentration of needle users. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we were able to uh over a long period of time, well, we, we pounded the pavement and, and worked with them enough. We were able to find um, and convince a landlord to to provide a turnkey um, uh, harm reduction center and overdose prevention center right across the street from where their Winnebago is parked, allowing substantially wow. more foot traffic and a completely, um, honestly, like a a white glove uh overdose prevention center and once it opened um i i went and visited i think about a couple of weeks after it opened they had prevented uh, on average 3 fatal overdoses per day um and wow. that otherwise the folks would have would have would have died um and um and so it it's it's what showed me that the space being able to have space was in this case it was literally uh, saving people's lives, and so you know that's a, I think a microcosm, in general for how important space can be for social impact.
0: So now I'm I'm super curious about the the resulting community <laughs> impact of having that located in that place. I mean, are they seeing increased homelessness in that area? Are they? I mean, or decreased? Has there been a positive impact in that way?
1: So as far as as far as homelessness, I don't think that it's it's changed substantially. They are seeing decreased incidence of um, remote fatalities due to um, due to overdoses, um, because part, it, those folks spread into the nearby parks under bridges and when they didn't right. have a space to go to, but now it's concentrated in one location. Um, so there is a, a significant there's a there's a huge public health impact in that area. Um, yeah. And it's a model that's existed. I mean, Canada, they've been doing this since the 80s, 0% fatality rate since the 1980s. And it was it took this long to get it over the line in the United States. It's amazing. Wow. That, uh, um, wow. But uh, yeah, so.
0: So tell me about you. You walked in to visit a, a, a week after they opened or however long it was. And what did you see that was like, wow, I I, I participated in this. I was.
1: Yeah, I mean, I saw um, I, I saw a pristine facility that had um, these uh, the, these stations where folks could come in and they could sit and they could use They They were using you know, need heroin Heroin, um, and, uh, and there was a mirror right in front of them. And there was a one-to-one staff ratio of uh, staff members trained to the extent of a registered nurse who could use that mirror to tell immediately based on their pupils, they were going to overdose and immediately administer Narcan using best practices. You know, uh, sometimes you administer too much. Someone can start going into withdrawal right away. So they, okay. um, and they and it's a facility filled with clean um uh, clean needles and, you know uh testing kits, fentanyl testing kits uh narcan in, in multiple different forms um and everyone is staffed it was it was quiet it was i w- i w- i will say quiet you know relative to what you probably expect um and uh someone overdosed while I was there and a staff member very who was showing me through very calmly explained what was happening what the the nurse was doing and so his arguably I think his life was saved you know right right then and there and and the way they handled it was dignified and um and uh very low risk so it was it was it was jarring of course because that's not the area that I I work in but it was also quite beautiful um to see that happening with with uh as much dignity as possible
0: well, I was thinking about the impact on city services It's such a positive impact because you don't have ambulances rushing around trying to get to somebody who's overdosing. Right. Um, and so I, it probably ends up saving a ton of taxpayer dollars of not treating them at the hospital, not trying to revive them once they've already had a problem and not trying to clean up a dead body um, right. from a park. So, Wow. I'm just thinking about all the different impact potentials for impact, and um, I, you may not have the answer to this, and it's something I'm sure our, our, some of our listeners will be curious about: is um, how many of those who almost overdose, almost die, actually end up getting into some sort of treatment to reduce their use once they realize yeah. that they almost killed themselves. If, if that's, you know, right. Clearly, I they mean, don't want to die if they're yeah. doing, if they're shooting up in a facility like that. their intention is not to overdose exactly
1: yeah and i mean i I would encourage listeners to look into the the overdose prevention model because it does right it does seem ostensibly like it's just a way to like it's condoning of of ongoing use um but oftentimes it's a peer model so oftentimes staff members themselves either are active users or are in recovery and were um and so um there's there there are slow, but steady ways to mentor folks. And Mm -hmm. so there is a pipeline from overdose prevention into recovery. Um, So it does have that, that impact as well.
0: Oh, wow. That's amazing. And you got to be part of that, a foundational support to that, to saving lives.
1: Yeah, well, I, 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 uh, it's, it was humbling and and I'm very proud to have had the opportunity to work with a group like that there, uh, some of the most amazing, some of the most amazing social workers I've ever, I've ever
0: met. Incredibly generous and selfless. So now I'm, I'm imagining you walking into this facility, having this sense of accomplishment and sadness and gratitude and all those conflicting feelings of experiencing that. And then you transition into this by, by day, you're doing all this real estate, commercial real estate with nonprofits in New York city, And then by night, you're then turning around and and running the business aspect of Yarrow with your brother, Dylan. And um, for our listeners, you'll want to listen to that other episode with Dylan because he really gets deeply into the why behind their work in Ypsilanti, just outside of Ann Arbor, Michigan, renovating old properties um, to be really beautiful, useful, livable homes for people that are actually within reach financially. So for instance, one of the apartments that Dylan uh, remodeled has, they they uncovered a, a hidden fireplace. They made it feel like home and teachers, the, a couple, a man and woman that are married, that are teachers, walked into one of these apartments and said, oh, it just feels like home before they even looked at the rest of the place. And they are living in one of these places now. And if two teachers on their salaries, which we know is just absurd, right. if they can afford this beautiful remodeled apartment in a nice part of Ypsilanti right downtown where they can walk around to the different stores and the storefronts, I, I mean, that just gave me chills when he talked about that. So tell me about that a little bit, maybe a story again, let's because this is a story podcast, Right. Maybe uh again, the a similar situation. That's the story that Dylan told me about how it felt to do the business that he does. And it wasn't him that overheard this couple saying that. It was the agent that was showing them the apartment. So um, so tell me about that.
1: Um, well, I mean that yeah, I think that is that is a um that's a that's a great example. Another one actually, and it's the same, it's one of our properties that has that we've is um I think probably has the most historic uh presence um and it's it's located on um a lot of a, a large plot of land there's a very large yard um part of what really drew us to it is that there's a community garden or what had become a community garden that tenants were collaborating on and we had uh we had um two of our tenants at the time um were both uh similar young, young folks who were working in these i think humanities department at at eastern and at u of m um and they uh we, we we worked with them to to help them get chickens because they wanted to have um to have chickens and so, and we were super about it we thought it would really like it would it it would be cool for the other tenants. It would be a great addition to um, the community garden that was already in place. um so we made it happen. I mean, you know they got these chickens and we were um, you know kind of helping helping take care of them where necessary, but it's the kind of thing where um you know I, I think one differentiating factor is that you might get an eyebrow raise from a from a lot of landlords or property owners for something like that. And we were like, "Yes, this is great. Let's do it." And they were, um, <laughs> so they were thrilled. Um, and uh, so I think that's just in terms of in terms of micro stories. That's that's a that's a fun
0: that's one. awesome. Well, I, there's nothing like chickens to build community, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, and I mean that because I I live in a small town in Montana and. It is so meaningful to me when somebody gives me eggs from their chickens yeah. that are, were raised right next door and they're eating really healthy table scraps, right? And I can, I can bring over my table scraps to my friend's house and those chickens just go to town on them. Yeah. And it's just, I love that. And sometimes we'll trade around here. I have a friend with a community garden plot that grows ridiculous amounts of vegetables in her small plot and she'll trade me vegetables for challah dough, which is the, well, you know this, but it's yeah. the the dough that um, makes challah, which is a, a Jewish braided bread that we eat on the Sabbath and festivals. And I'll make a big batch of challah dough and trade her for that, for vegetables or, or eggs from the chickens nearby. So that is definitely a community value right there, but no roasters.
1: <laughs> no i don't think that there were any roosters that that many. might have we might have had to check with other folks in the building and make sure they were cool with that yeah if anybody sleeps in then no
0: know, there are yeah. many communities that actually won't allow roosters in the community okay. and they're not so great for the chickens because they fertilize the eggs so you really right. don't want those anyway <laughs> right and they're noisy um,
1: but uh yeah that's a that's a it's it and i, 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 I like i'd like great story you know in in response it's it's also it's something cool that um you know creating kind of uh cre- where we can where we can find that opportunity to create kind of micro communities within um within a piece of real estate whether it's a one multifamily building or you know uh, multiple adjacent um it's something that we think is very special and very important and, and also hyperlocal, which is a big part of, of Ypsilanti and how, how we hope to, you know, continue to work with and for Ipsilani um, to, to sort of further its, its uh, mm-hmm. very, very sort of proud and hyperlocal um, uh, MO.
0: Culture. Right. Yeah. So um, I know what you mean by hyperlocal because I when i buy beef it's from a ranch literally less than 100 miles from my house so i i get hyper local what do you mean by hyper local in Ypsilanti?
1: you know and i don't know if it's if it's to that extent because i think it's it's also i think relative certainly to a place like you know ann arbor it's 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 more under resourced um but i i i guess more so um there's there there's, there's a lot bigger focus on, on local businesses. Um, I think that's prioritized by, um, by the city as far as, you know, downtown development. Um, and, um, and then, and then also just that it's a pretty, it's a, it's a a somewhat, it's a tight town. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of sort of town pride, um, folks, folks know each other, um, and so okay. I guess that's that's what I mean, as far as, uh, you know, is the is the wheat for the bread coming from Ypsilanti? Probably not. Uh,
0: but <laughs> it I'd be, might be if coming they, from Montana. If, if some, <laughs> someday.
1: Yeah, right. You know, if if, if someday uh, someday that's the case, then that's that's ideal. I think it's it's part of bringing more resources uh, into uh, into something without without changing it beyond what, um, you know, what what the we call the original residence, you um, right. uh, recognize
0: what I love about this. There's so much to love about this, but one of the things that came to mind is I'm a landlord. My husband and I own a small fourplex in town about a mile from our house. The the property was built around the same time of our house, which is around 1890. Yeah. And um, what I love about what you just said was that your tenants can go to Dylan and say, Hey, we have this idea we, we kind of want chickens, right? Or we, we kind of want to do this community garden or we're thinking a, a rooftop garden or whatever. And Dylan's like, let me think about it. Not, no, absolutely not. But let me think about it. Let me talk to Jake and we'll see what we can do. And it may still be a no, but because of the nature of your business and the relationships that Dylan builds with the with the residents themselves, they know that they can ask him. They're not going to just say no. They're not going to dismiss you. And I know as a landlord, that relationship is critical. It's a critical factor, first of all, to the safety of our property and the well-being of our property. Our tenants love living where they live. So they take good care of it and they watch out for us and they watch out for the neighbor's properties. So it just, right. it's right. Oh, yeah. I love that.
1: Yeah, it's a... Uh... You know, I I think um, I'm, I'm glad that you it, I'm glad you agree from experience with this, but I because I think uh, I even felt this way before I was had anything to do with real estate. But uh, you know, because I'm I'm me and both me and Dylan are are, are progressives, and um, I think to to the extent where before I had more insight uh, into into what real estate could could do in in a meaningful way. I kind of would peg landlords as just adversarial um just generally kind of a bad thing to be um, absolutely <laughs> yeah and, and there are a lot uh, of them out there there tons, are a lot of really
0: bad landlords out there
1: most of them um
0: <laughs> i but, would agree uh, with that yeah
1: but uh um but approaching it from a, as a, as from a sort of collaborative community standpoint mm-hmm. where, yes, I own the property. Yes. I, I have to, there's an extent to which I have to make money. Um, but, uh, but not, you know, not at the health expense and safety of, of the tenants. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And, and, and let's, let's, um, I'm also interested in who our tenants are and, you know, they're, they're members of, of our, community who we want to learn about who we want to support in every way we can um so
0: when you think about it it's uh, what i love about what you're saying is that it's not um so i i had some pretty negative experiences with our progressive candidates here in helena montana because i worked for the city and we had this primarily and i use air quotes progressives on our commission when i worked there. And there were so many times where I just wanted to distance myself from them. I didn't even want to consider myself a progressive because all they were talking about was adding services, adding services, and never took away anything and never talked about revenue. So all of our city staff who were already working really hard and not making a ton of money because they're working for the city, great benefits and and pretty good um, Uh, job security, but still like they were taking on more and more roles because there were more and more services, but no money to add more employees or to manage the maintenance costs of those services that we were starting up. So I got really frustrated with it. And then I became a landlord and I was like, okay, this is, this is really, that was great experience for me to, to see that because I know I have to have revenue because otherwise I can't support my tenants I can't do improvements on the building when necessary if I'm not charging a reasonable amount of rent. And um, I think a lot of landlords don't think about it in that way. There have been times we've been burned a little bit, right? Like we've, we had a tenant that was, we had to kick out and it sucked, but I would not trade that for the experience that I gained and for the benefit that we've provided for the people who are there now. So, have you had a negative experience that was like, okay, this is why some landlords turn. <laughs> this is why some landlords become not such good landlords.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, I, I would say, uh, of course, and I would say often. I mean, because cause we're you know we're scaling, we we scale pretty quickly, um, and and are continuing to do so. So yes, the, and the more the larger you are, then the more of
0: those the harder it gets issues. to manage it yeah. right those yeah. little, little and then uh, become big issues yep yeah.
1: and it's i mean it, I, that's why i think it, it, it's where and it's where dylan's also been very influential in this whole process Is really like really a create, creating and attaching ourselves to um a, a, a kind of a, a, a vision and a mission um that is community focused and socially conscious. So it it almost works as a reminder to ourselves in those moments of what to, what to, what to focus on. And that these are these are speed bumps along the way. Um, but it is absolutely not worth compromising your values. Um, you know, because you're dealing with a, a person or an organization who is incredibly difficult and who may or may not be uh, put costing you a lot of additional Money, um, so kind of part of our business model is that's or part of our outlook is that that's that's par for the course. And I think further down the road, you know, where right now we're focused on um, cre- creating this impact through historic residential buildings, um, is that we also aim in in the in the future is to, to transition and actually be um, developers. Um, and so, and then once you're doing that, you're dealing with public agencies and tenants and, you know, every facet of, of, of the development world is very political and it's probably 90%, uh, stuff like that, where that's very frustrating and, um, could, could cause many folks to either become more jaded profit conscious or, (laughs) or back out. Um, and so it's, it's, I think we have a, we have a, we're always seeing the silver lining of staying on track. I think
0: that's awesome. And what it what I understand this to be is um, that once you start getting to where you guys are going, where you're really scaling, we're we're satisfied with our one property. I'm not going more than that. Uh, but we're early, we're later in our careers. You know, my husband and I are much later in our careers. But what it what speaks to me about this is this. Um, The knowledge that you are going to have to build a team of people that have that similar attitude to you so that because you're not going to be able to be providing those direct relationships in the same way as you grow, it reminds me of what you've already learned through your social work, which is you have to build the right team of people that will provide those direct services as you would have if you were still at that level of of relationships with them. And the, just like what you said at the very beginning of our conversation, there, there are the other angels to do that kind of work. And um, you're there to provide that foundational support for them to bring their best selves to what they want to do, which is probably more in the direct services to right. see their impact face-to-face one at a time. Well said. Oh I love that. I'm I'm so looking forward to seeing how you build this team and what happens as you do it because there have been successful people that have scaled this kind of project and kept the the um culture and the values and the ideals behind it. It does happen. It's rare and it's, it's rare. hard. But I think about even Patagonia is still doing that and um but then you see the opposite you see the Starbucks situation where they started so great <laughs> and yeah. now they're being you know labor driven because they weren't doing it right and Target too was another one that was doing really really well and then they started tooting their horn about how oh we offer tuition reimbursement and benefits to our full-time employees but i can tell you my son worked at a target here and um very shortly figured out that they weren't giving him enough hours to be full-time intentionally so that he wouldn't well, qualify for those programs. Fine print,
1: like, some big fine print.
0: <laughs> yeah, or, or not, unwritten. It's yeah, more of an or, unwritten, unwritten, like, well, we're not yeah. gonna give you quite enough hours so you don't actually qualify for those benefits. So I'm, I'll be so curious and I'll be rooting for you. I'll be a major champion advocate as I see you grow. And I'm super excited to see where this goes
1: awesome well likewise and thank you it's, it's 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 awesome to have to have your support um and uh, we're excited too i think you know we're at a stage where we're lean and we're kind of malleable we have and and um and so the ways we grow i think we kind of um it's kind of in a lot of ways it's kind of ad hoc you know the 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 ways we'll expand might be based on if we come across a, a, an opportunity to to Bid on a uh, or to be part of a, a development site um, sooner rather than later. Then maybe we'll be adding that that arm of the organization sooner, or or whether it's that or property management or something else. Um,
0: yeah, consciously, consciously, yep. I love that. So there's one thing that I'd like to talk about just to wrap this full circle, wrap this back to you and Dylan as brothers, um, super close, super tight. One of my friends that is now a a new friend, I met him through my younger son. So um, this man was in Missoula, Montana, visiting his son, who worked at the time with my son, who lived in Missoula. And Greg met Max and said, "Okay, this kid isn't coming from just school. What he's talking about isn't stuff he learned at school. Who are your parents? I want to know about your parents because yeah. this kid is extraordinary which of course I'm like oh yeah of course he is he's my kid everybody yeah. says yeah. that but um I'm hearing your stories and Dylan's stories and the love with which you share them and the reality it's not um what I experienced in the city of all of this we want to give and give and give but we're never going to talk about the cost of that I'm hearing so much reality and consciousness in what you're saying tell me just briefly about your parents where did this yeah. come from
1: um well i th- yeah i think it's uh, our parents are a huge part of it and also and then also our grandparents i think so that's 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 in there too um the uh so our my my uh my mother is a as a social worker and um and then also is it throughout my whole life has been is an extremely active community member in the Ann Arbor area. She's a, she's involved with a ton of different nonprofit organizations. She works with 826 Michigan. She works with the Neutral Zone. Um, she's been involved with, uh, she was very actively involved with every school I went to. Um, and uh, on a very hands-on basis, you know, um, she's she has a drama background and a writing background and a social work background. So those all came together in different ways. Um, you know, either whether or not it involved me and my brother uh, with our peers growing up. Um, and so um, community embeddedness and and the importance of of the importance of community and of uh, community organizations uh, was was instilled, I think, at a very, very, very early young age. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, And our father's a, he's a, he's a physician and a, and a professor at the medical school. Um, and so as far as real estate stuff, he doesn't have a real estate background or a social work background, but he's, um, I will say, you know, one thing about what he does is that he's an infectious disease doc. He works with the VA he also works, he also works at the university of Michigan hospital. Um, but a big part of the, the population he serves is, is underserved, um, and, um, and ID or infectious diseases is, 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 one of the, um, I would call it is in the medical field. It's, it's where some of the better angels often end up. Um, it's, mm-hmm. uh, and so, uh, and he's, he's always been kind of revered within his field specifically for, mm-hmm. um, among other things, uh, how he, uh, interacts with, patients uh in a way that is empowering there's a it's all too often you have doctors who are delivering you know difficult or bad news in a very scientific and
0: and Plinical.
1: unforgiving yeah. way that uh that can be hard for families and, and, and it's the exact opposite and so um those two things uh my mom and my dad i think made us into uh you know uh, it's community focused and thoughtful and uh and then our our grandmother actually does have a real estate background and was a property manager back in the uh back back a long, long time ago. And she was a city council member. So she's been involved, you know, on the more political level as well. Mm-hmm. Um and so she likes to say that, that skipped a generation because she's she's uh she's been a big proponent and supporter of what we're doing in Michigan. And um and she also taught us at a very young age all about um uh fiscal management so about an investment strategy and uh you know things like when i was a little kid knowing about compounding interest you know knowing enough about the stock market to you know to understand investment behavior um and uh and then that translated into actual real estate acumen i think maybe that's where where i thought i didn't have that experience when i when i entered the real estate world i guess i had i had
0: some of it you did you had influence even if you didn't have experience with it. That's awesome. Wow. I'm not surprised at all to hear that. I would love to have a conversation with your parents and just let them know how highly I regard you and your brother, Dylan. This has been such a treat to get to meet both of you and spend this time with you. So thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Likewise, Sarah. Thank you. It's, it's awesome. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to hearing more from, from from you and and learning more about what you, you seem to have all kinds of awesome things going on and so <laughs> nice. I'm looking forward to staying in touch um, and uh, and of course if if you reach out with anything else we'd be happy to reconnect whether it's whether it's via a podcast or otherwise um, yeah it's, uh, music like all the way out in Montana sure. music right yeah I will I'll send you a link to Mobile Studio so you can you can drop it in there check that it out that'd be
0: or, great yeah. I'm sure our listeners will want to learn more about that program. That's so awesome. cool. My, just as a side, my niece went to school at the Denver School of Performing Arts for High School. Awesome. And stagecraft was one of her things. So um, yeah, super tight ties here across the board. And I'm so glad that we had a chance to talk. So thanks again. You too.
1: Of course. Thank you.
0: Listeners, it's your turn. What is something that you've been considering where you can contribute to your community? What is one small way that you can encourage somebody else to do something that you know will help within your community, will build something important? How can you support the people that you need to support in order to build a community that's healthy and caring for each other? It doesn't have to have a label. It doesn't have to be real estate. It doesn't have to be about homes and properties. It doesn't have to be even about helping people on a scale as to what we're talking about with Jake and Dylan. But even swapping dough, maybe it's pizza dough for you, or sourdough with somebody who, is, who has chickens. Find somebody in your community, contribute, build those relationships, and let me know how that goes. That's- Thanks so much for listening. Your stories don't define you, how you tell them will. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile.